Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to The Dose. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Recently, the teenage daughter of one of our producers was telling her mom that when school was in person this year here in Ontario, there were regularly other kids in the school bathroom vaping nicotine. And it got us wondering here at The Dose how the pandemic has impacted smoking and vaping rates. And I have just the guest to help answer that. Hi, David. Hi. Uh, can I get you to say a hi my name is in a sentence or two? You can ad-lib and uh, tell us where you are and what you do. Hi, my name's Dave Hammond. I'm a professor in the School of Public Health at the University of Waterloo, and I do research on tobacco, vaping, cannabis, and other drugs in terms of understanding what consumers do and also how governments act to control these substances. David Hammond, welcome to The Dose. Pleasure to be here. So what do we know about what the pandemic has done to rates of smoking and vaping nicotine? Well, I think the first thing that we know is that the pandemic has affected people differently. So it's just like diet or exercise or or even things like employment. And what we've seen is more people trying to quit. We've also seen more people struggling to quit and some people actually smoking less. Now, at the end of the day, that means that smoking has actually continued to go down at about the same rate it was before the pandemic. But it seems to be playing out much differently depending upon uh, the type of consumer and, and what their individual experience might be. So, you know, at first blush, that seems strange to me that smoking rates would be going down given the fact that alcohol consumption seems to have been going up. And I know that there's at least one study that that found that more people are using benzodiazepines, you know, Valium-like drugs. So so why would smoking be going down? Why does that make sense? Well, fortunately, smoking has been going down for 30 or 40 years. I often refer to it as our biggest public health success and one of our most enduring failures. Uh, So it's kind of the same trend line down. But, you know, there was a lot of media about uh, the excess risk uh, of COVID-19 if you're a smoker, uh, if you have underlying health problems. And frankly, there's no other consumer product or behavior that you know contributes more to underlying health problems than smoking. So I think what we saw is, is people trying to take action um, because of the you know, extra risk and concern. But we also know that many adult consumers had a really hard time if you were working from home uh, you know, you don't have the same constraints on your smoking. Some people had more disposable income, which meant that, you know, they had more left over to pay for tobacco. So um, it really played out differently, again, depending upon people's situation. But overall, it seems to be a steady trend from pre-COVID. So if smoking rates went down more than you might have expected had the pandemic uh, not been here... Yeah, that, that kind of yeah, tells that, me. Go on. You're going to you're going to uh, you're going to clarify. Well, I was going to say that's the great question because we're talking about a thirty or forty year trend, but we also know that the government's doing a number of different things. So we had something called plain packaging, where you can't have brand images and logos on cigarette packages. You know, we banned menthol cigarettes. So you know, a continuation of the same trend. Well, what might it have been without COVID? Maybe it would have decreased even further. 
it, it's but it certainly raises an interesting question, you know, as to whether or not the scary message that that if you smoke and you get COVID, you're you're more likely to get sick with COVID and possibly die of COVID, that that could have had an impact on on the behavior of people in such a short period of time. Well, I, I think it certainly did. And look, the reality is that most smokers would rather not be smoking. About half of them try and quit every year. So I think what this did is provide extra motivation for people. But the setting made it actually more difficult for them to stay quit. Now, I should say that we've seen differences among adults and young people. So we did see more of a decline, especially in vaping among young people during the pandemic. You know, at the end of the day, it's not as uh, fun or exciting to have a vape or share a cigarette with your mom on the back porch as it is with your friends. And, you know, between not being at school and not having the same sort of social influences, uh, we did see more of a decline among youth than uh, comparatively among adults. So we'll talk more about vaping in just a moment, but remind us how many Canadians still smoke. It's around 4 million per year in Canada. Uh, And, you know, just for context here, we still have about 45,000 deaths a year in Canada attributable to tobacco use. Um, And, you know, globally, it's about 8 million a year. That's twice the deaths from all of COVID combined. So while we talk about one pandemic, this is the old pandemic that hasn't gone away and and has a huge impact on on our public health. And how many of those 45,000 would you say are daily smokers? Well, the more you smoke, the greater the risk. It is dose response. Uh, the sad reality is that about one out of every two long-term smokers uh, will die if they're unable to quit. Uh, so, you know, they, the old saying is, is it's the only consumer product that kills you when you use it uh, exactly as directed. So you've already mentioned that young people showed the biggest decrease in vaping during the pandemic. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it does have to do with, you know, you're around family more. You're not around the same social sources. So, you know, kids share cigarettes. They share vapes. Um, It was more difficult to buy uh, vapes in many cases. Uh, And so I think it's a combination of just not having the same sort of incentives, the same cues. Um, But I will say that the most recent data suggests that we have seen a bit of a rebound effect in 2021. So that's concerning. And what it tells us is that for those that were, you know, we're all hoping that vaping was just a trend. Well, it's a a trend or a fad with a highly addictive drug. And the indications so far are that we have seen a bit of a rebound and it seems to be uh, quite a sticky behavior and that it seems to have survived a pandemic. So, you know, we certainly know and we've, as as you and I've already discussed or mentioned, uh, smoking increases your COVID risk. Does vaping increase your COVID risk too? Well, it certainly has the potential. I mean, one of the concerns is actually sharing vapes, you know, at the time when we're trying to get people to social distance and, um, you know, especially among young people, it's a social behavior. So there's a concern about people sharing their products. Now, the risks of vaping are far less than smoking. So really nothing compares to smoking. It doesn't sound scientific, but our best science tells us that vaping is likely to be harmful, but far less harmful than smoking. Um, So the idea is that it could exacerbate the risk of things like COVID, but if it does, it's to a much lesser extent than smoking tobacco. And of course, the reason why vaping is safer than 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 smoking tobacco, particularly for for uh, you know heavy users of of tobacco, is is that uh, 
you know, the nicotine that's in vape products is not the problem. The problem is the combustible tobacco products, isn't it? That's exactly. It's the smoke. It's smoke inhalation. And so, you know, I always say if I rolled up a T-shirt or any other organic matter, you'll see some of the same carcinogens you see from tobacco. So it's lighting it on fire and inhaling the smoke. Now, we use the term harmful and less harmful rather than safe. But the idea is that, uh, as you say, nicotine is an addictive drug. There are toxic chemicals in, in vape aerosol, but a far less extent than smoking. And that's why at the moment, if someone is a smoker and they otherwise can't quit, they can't get off nicotine, they have the potential to reduce their risk if they totally stop smoking and switch to vaping. But of course, among young people in Canada, we've done such a phenomenal job at reducing smoking initiation uh, that picking up vaping is going to increase your risk. And let's be clear, youth in Canada are far more likely to vape than adults. In fact, even than adult smokers, the, the daily vaping rate among our youth is several times that of adult smokers. So we've got a problem here. It could serve a harm reduction purpose, but we've got the wrong group using these products for the wrong reason. And so let's let's start talking about some of the reasons why why we should be concerned. And let's begin with uh, the nicotine content of vape products. And you know, certainly on White Coat Black Art a couple of years ago, I uh, interviewed uh, a woman, a young a young woman from Atlantic Canada who vaped enough nicotine uh, over the course of several hours to have a seizure. And and so that can happen. It's no, it may not be usual, it may not be common, but it can certainly happen. So there is, you know, I, I think we need to 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 stress that nicotine in in toxic doses is harmful. Absolutely, and it's just relative to smoking. And I, you know, smoking is like jumping off a twenty story building. You know, compared to smoking, any other consumer product is probably going to have a lower risk. So you're absolutely right. You know, the vaping phenomenon among young people is for several reasons. Uh, it doesn't have the same sort of social stigma. It is it comes in lovely, tasty flavor. So, you know, peach, mango, cereal, milk, whatever you, whatever your fancy is. It's modern, it's sleek, it's easy to sort of, um, you know, conceal and it's techie. So Juul, which is one of the largest manufacturers, used to refer to their products as the iPhone of e-cigarettes. And you're absolutely right. You can suck out as much nicotine out of those things uh, as any cigarette. And, and Juul, more than any other product, perfected the brand of not just having a high nicotine concentration, but they changed the chemistry so that it was easier to inhale. Normally, if you tried to inhale that nicotine concentration, it would be very harsh, kind of like inhaling cigar smoke. But they tweaked the chemistry so that you can now inhale very large concentrations of nicotine, and, and that is associated with uh, greater dependence among young people. What about the flavors? I remember you know, when I first started looking into this, there were concerns that the flavors, which of course are chemicals, that, that, you, that you're vaping chemicals and that they would be toxic to your lungs or toxic in some other ways. What do we know about that so far? You're absolutely right. These are chemicals. There's, you know, there's no sort of natural uh, flavors here. Uh, and so there's a huge range of them. There's hundreds, thousands of flavors. And really the creativity, you know, there's, there's dragon's breath, there's unicorn horn, uh, you know, anything you can imagine. But really there are certain flavors that, uh, you know, specific chemicals that we have concerns about. Again, it never sort of touches the risks of, of conventional cigarettes. But we still have a long way to go to implementing basic product standards so that we minimize any excess risk from e-cigarettes. And that's especially important if it's an adult smoker trying to switch. Well, they'd like to minimize their risk as well. And, and quite frankly, the, the, the market moves so quickly that governments and scientists are always playing catch-up. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. 
Since the pandemic hit, what do we actually know about the prevalence of vape-related illness in the United States and Canada? Well, that's a great uh, question, and some of your listeners might remember that in near the end of 2019, we had this thing that people are calling a valley, uh, which was serious lung disease caused by vaping. About more than 60 people died. Thousands were in hospital. Now, since then, they've attributed most of those to actually cannabis or THC vaping. And the idea is that there was something in there, vitamin E acetate or vitamin E oil, which is fine if it's in a food uh, and you ingest it orally. But apparently when you heat it and inhale it, it's highly toxic. And so that may not be the only reason, but that was the main implication. It underscores what I said to you, which is there are things being added to these products that we, we don't have science on. Uh, and I don't think that we want to use consumers as guinea pigs uh, in a lab. Now, many of the vitamin E oil products I mentioned were sourced from the illicit market, but there are still concerns about some of the additives. Uh, I'll say unnecessary additives and flavors in some of these products. And it also highlights that vaping is a mode of drug delivery that's here to stay. It's becoming increasingly popular for cannabis or THC as it has for nicotine. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I can't recall hearing a single case of Ivali in the last few months or since the pandemic began. That doesn't mean, you know, I haven't been looking in particular, but, but it was big news before the pandemic and, and I haven't, I've heard scarcely a word of it since. You're right. And it was mainly in the U.S. Uh, so there were somewhere between one or two dozen cases identified in Canada, some of which were uh, associated with nicotine vapes. So, you know, it's possible that this is quite a low frequency sort of health uh, adverse outcome and it's just hard for us to monitor it. Why we haven't heard about it, uh, it could be because the specific products are not on the market. It could be because people are not going to their doctors. They're not you know, visiting emergency rooms like they used to during COVID. So it was never as big an issue in Canada as the U.S., but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see when Canadians start to access their healthcare professionals again if, if we do identify further cases. Beyond vaping-related lung illnesses, which seem to be due to cannabis products, in particular vitamin E, what does the science say about the health effects of vaping more generally? Well, it's a great question. It depends on who's using it. So if someone is a long-term established smoker, we don't exactly know the, the relative risk, but we can be fairly safe in saying that we know it would be substantially less for vaping compared to smoking. In terms of people that never smoked in the first place, we believe that it will be harmful. But here's the problem. Even if you go back to the 1930s and 40s and 50s, it took 20 or 30 years for us to identify the link between smoking and lung cancer. Now, that's about as potent a relative risk as you can imagine. And part of it is the time lag from these chronic diseases from when people start the, using the product to when these diseases appear. So it is a bit of a, a, a morbid reality that we won't really know what the risks of vaping are for another 10 or 20 years. Uh, we can be confident that they'll be less than smoking. Um, but really, at this point, there's no reason for any Canadian to be vaping if, if they don't already smoke cigarettes. What does the latest science uh, have to say about the extent to which vaping among teenagers and young adults leads to tobacco use, you know, in, in, in tobacco-naive people who have yeah. never smoked before? Look, that's a great question. It's one that's a huge source of debate in the research community. So it is absolutely true that kids that start vaping are more likely to subsequently start smoking. 
a fair amount of that is just because it's the type of individual who tries one drug is likely to try another. So it's people call it a gateway effect. We've seen it for alcohol, cannabis, tobacco, and and some of it is just the, the common risk factor of the individual engaging in risky, risky behavior. Now, smoking prevalence has continued to decline in Canada, even as vaping prevalence has increased among young people. So I would say that what we do know is that it is possible that it increases the risk of smoking, but we haven't really seen that play out in the prevalence estimates at the population level. Really what it's done is create a new category of nicotine user at a point in Canada's history where we are very close to totally turning off the tap in terms of smoking initiation among young people in Canada. It's about 1% among youth in Canada. And so right at the point where we're about to close the door uh, in terms of nicotine initiation, this has created a a new product uh, that appears to be here to stay. Okay. Uh, we've really gotten down deep into some of the, the suspected or, 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 or the, you know, the concerns regarding, regarding the adverse effects of, of vaping. And, and I can hear the pro-vaping group uh, seething quietly as we have this conversation. So let's go the, let's go the other way, please. Sure. How effective is vaping nicotine as a harm reduction strategy to get people to quit smoking? We have clinical trials out there that do show that it can be an effective method. It's probably equally or maybe even a touch more effective than some of those gums or the patch. But we also know that there are many smokers who are using the product to not quit. Maybe they use it when they're at work and they can't smoke. And so overall, we haven't really seen a big change in how many Canadian smokers are managing to quit, even though many of them, in fact, it's among the most popular way of quitting. So it will be effective for some, but here's the message that smokers out there need to know. Is it less harmful if you switch to vaping? Yes. Can it help you to quit? Yes, but you must stop smoking. Because people that vape and smoke at the same time not only is that a common behavior, but it actually, it doesn't reduce your risk and it might actually increase your risk. So yes, it can be effective and less harmful, but you must quit to make sure that you achieve that lower risk. There is an odd group lobbying against cigarettes these days, against cigarettes. Imperial Tobacco Canada sent out a press release on World No Tobacco Day outlining a strategy to move away from selling cigarettes. So what's that about? Well, that's about... Uh, the big companies, Philip Morris International and, and Imperial Tobacco, which is British American Tobacco, they have a different class of products. Just to make things more confusing, they have something called heated tobacco products. Now, this means that you generate a, you don't light it on fire, so there's no smoke that's like e-cigarettes. But instead of heating a liquid, which is what an e-cigarette is, you're actually heating something that looks like a mini cigarette with tobacco in it. So, like, it comes right down the middle. It's probably as or more appealing. Uh, than an e-cigarette, but it also comes with likely higher risks. They would like to sell you these products. So when they say, we want to stop selling conventional cigarettes, they don't say they want to stop selling tobacco. Let's be very clear. That's an important distinction for them. They haven't fared terribly well in the e-cigarette market because there's so many different brands, etc. These are the products where they make a reasonable amount of profit and it's not so easy for other companies to compete. So they're trying to sell these heated, vaporized tobacco products. But let's just also take a step back and say that, you know, companies like Philip Morris USA said on national TV, you know, in the, I believe it was the 90s, they said, if our products are shown to produce any sort of cancer, we'll shut the factory down tomorrow. That was the CEO of Philip Morris at the time. So, 
I think you need more than a grain of salt when you hear the cigarette companies uh, suggest that they're in the interest of this. If they want to stop selling cigarettes, if Imperial Tobacco would like to stop selling cigarettes, they can do so tomorrow. What about quitting? Quitting nicotine. What's your advice around best practices to anyone who's looking to quit their nicotine addiction? The best advice you can give is most consumers have tried. They've tried again and we need to tell them to try again. The more you try, the more your likelihood goes up. Use whatever method is most likely to help you. We have telephone quit lines. We have um, subsidized nicotine replacement therapy, prescription medication. Some smokers uh, try vaping. Use as many formal methods as you would like. Stick with it. It's one of the most important things that people can do for their health. Uh, and we need to do a better job helping consumers. We're great at warning people away from cigarettes, from convincing kids not to start. We need to support the smokers and consumers out there because we still have 4 million of them in Canada and it remains one of the leading causes of death. David Hammond, uh, thank you very much for speaking with me. My pleasure. David Hammond is a professor in the School of Public Health at the University of Waterloo. Here's your dose of smart advice. Smoking increases the risk of getting COVID and having more severe symptoms from COVID. Vaping also increases the risk, but probably not to the same extent as smoking. During the pandemic, rates of tobacco use and vaping went down, especially among young people. But vaping rates in youth have begun to climb once again. In terms of illness and death, vaping is less harmful than tobacco, which kills 45,000 Canadians per year. The main health issue with vaping is addiction to nicotine, but nicotine on its own does not cause heart or lung disease or cancer. There are concerns that vaping chemical flavors can be harmful, though we won't know to what extent until there are long-term studies. Vaping nicotine is an effective method of harm reduction for adult heavy smokers who want to quit tobacco. In young people, vaping appears to be an enduring trend and not a fad. Despite concerns, there isn't a lot of evidence that teens who start vaping have been switching to tobacco. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Anne-Marie Caragonjo for technical operations. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.